like back in the day, I lived at Route 8, Box 245. Exactly. There <laughs> you now, go. But now I don't. I've got enough. I lived at Route 1, Box 274. There you go. <laughs> You're listening to the Help Me with HIPAA podcast, where HIPAA and humor collide to make learning fun. Your delightful hosts are Donna Grindle and David Sims. Relax. HIPAA help is on the way. Welcome to episode 410 of the Helping with HIPAA podcast. My name is David Sims of HIPAA Firm SPs. And joining me is Donna Brimble from Carton. Good evening, Donna. Good evening, David. <laughs> well, you sound a lot better, finally. Yeah. You don't look any better, just, but you, you sound uh, a lot better. <laughs> back to what I always look like. So. Yeah, well, you don't look all bruised up now. <laughs> yeah. I'm not swollen anymore. My face doesn't hurt to smile. That was that was rough for me. As I much as I laugh, time. it was like so painful. I know. That recording right after I oh my god, I should have known better than to talk to you when my, I know. I had to just beg you to stop, please. It's killing me. It's like it literally hurts me to laugh. Please stop. Uh, that that was that was a tough week for me. So <laughs> I spend a lot of time in laughter. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So much better. And All you right. you don't look so shell shocked. No, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. So today we're gonna to talk about some uh, interesting things. There are some SMB, better known as small medium sized business. Cyber resources, and we're going to take a look at some of those and talk about how usable they might be, maybe. Mm -hmm. But we're also going to talk about some some other things that uh, will be fun to discuss in our Hip Say What segment. (laughs) 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 Oh, yeah. And then I think you have a listener question, too. Yep. Yep. We got some good stuff going on today. All right. So, you ready to dive in? Oh, yeah. All right, cool. So, first of all, thanks for our donors. Thanks for those who share out the podcast to help us grow beyond 20 million listeners. <laughs> yes, there are 20 million people that worry about HIPAA privacy and security. <laughs> all right. On to our HIPAA Say What segment. Say <laughs> uh, What? I can't do it. So, uh, AHA sent a letter to OCR. Uh, yes, the infamous band from the 80s is still around. <laughs> no, not that AHA. Although I still see the video, you know, with the drawings and stuff. I remember how cutting edge it was back in the day, too. Everybody yeah. gathered around the TV because that finally somebody had MTV. Yeah. Um, back when they did videos. So trivia question for you. What was the first video they played on MTV? Radio killed the... uh, Video star. Video star, (laughs) yes. Thank you. Good job, I just lost it right in the middle. I'm impressed. I'm super impressed. (laughs) Hey, you thought you had me there, huh? I did. I did. That was a pop quiz, and I passed. (laughs) Well, mostly for somebody my age to get it out there. You knew what I was... Radio killed the video star. There you go. So, for those of you looking forward to our next trivia, I guess we'll have a segment on crazy, stupid trivia. I usually get all those right. 
Well, we'll have to try that. Yeah. I'll see what I can get you on. I'm sure there are plenty. Yeah, I'm sure. Obscure things from, you know, before you. Because I'm <laughs> so much older than you. Because my wife always says, why do I remember that crap? And I can't remember <laughs> where I put my phone five minutes ago. <laughs> Yeah, short-term memory is the first thing to go. <laughs> yep. All right, so back to AHA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the American Hospital Association letter, they published a letter to OCR, and it was interesting uh, for two reasons. One is they just said, look, the, so at first when I saw it, I was like, what are they talking about? Because the letter is uh, a HIPAA privacy rule updates and that they should go ahead and do those and then online tracking guidance and how they should deal with that. So, you know, there's a lot of privacy rule stuff out there, but they were talking about NPRM. And at first I was like, are they talking about all those changes? No, they're not talking about the NPRM that was scheduled to come out at the end of March, but we've never really heard any finalization on. Well, I guess it was March 0023 is when it was coming out. Maybe we still haven't gotten there. Uh, But they were talking about the new guidance on reproductive health care privacy. And they're like, we agree with all of it attestation shouldn't require us and it goes through this whole thing about the importance of and we talk about it all the time when we talk about reputation management that if people don't trust you to keep their crap private they won't tell you things which then makes it virtually impossible to adequately care for them Mm -hmm. so that being said they went through that part they agreed with it wholeheartedly but while we're at it I think this was the big reason, you know, they wanted to say that. But while we're at it, let's throw this other little thing in here. We got a problem with your guidance about online tracking. And their quote was, your online tracking guidance puts hospitals and health systems, because, of course, that's all they're interested in, but it's not just them, at risk of serious consequences, including class action lawsuits, HIPAA enforcement actions, are the loss of tens of millions of dollars of existing investments in existing websites, apps, and portals for a problem that ultimately is not of their own making. So it goes into the discussion of, well, you're saying that a single IP address is a problem, but IP address is listed as part of... 18 identifiers. yeah, the mm-hmm. yes. So, I mean, I, I remember when this first came out and some people, reporters and stuff, they'll IM me or, you know, DM me or message me on Twitter or wherever, or LinkedIn. And they ask, you know, what are they talking about? Just give me direction and I'll let you know if I need more. And so the debate is about Okay, it's on the 18 identifiers. So what do you do? I can't change the law. I can only refer to the guidance. And can I potentially connect an IP address to an individual? Yes. 
I mean, you and I could take an IP address, narrow it down to a house. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we're not using complex high-tech tools to do that. <laughs> but that being said, how often is that data accessed and used for those kind of purposes? And, you know, it, it's it's complicated, as always. But the bottom is. line is it's a tough position for everybody because what is tracking is telling you things. So if, let's say, they tracked, I don't know, they're, they're still using IP4, right? Mm-hmm. Not IP6. IPv6. Yeah. So, and for those of you, I'm sorry, there we went into technical garb, but <laughs> that is the structure of the internet address. So it's kind of like the internet protocol uses numbers that identify like the zip code and then the street and then the house and then the individual. Yeah. Pretty close. Like back in the day, I lived at Route 8, Box 245. Exactly. There <laughs> you now, go. But now I don't. I've got an I lived at address. Route 1, Box 274. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but now they've added more to that and... They added zip plus six for or zip plus four first, mm-hmm. right? And uh, I'll never forget. I got the biggest kick. You know, it's the weirdest things that we retained back to. Why do I remember that? <laughs> Is there was a movie? What was that movie? It was. Uh, it had Tom Selleck and. Uh, I'm going to figure it out in just a minute. Anyway, (laughs) it was uh, the, in that they're doing these clips of interviews and people from the small town, right? And in the interviews, people from the small town, they interview the postman because, you know, every small town's got to have that guy. (laughs) And in the middle of it, and they're like, well, what do you think the message should be? And he's like, please, everyone. Use your zip plus four. <laughs> it, was, it was like the only time I ever saw somebody suggest that you use zip plus four. <laughs> so, you know, that's how we roll. And uh, But it, it was not ever like a big thing. Well, the same thing's happening with IP addresses, right? Because mm-hmm. the IP addresses, what they're doing is they're changing from IP version four to IP version 6, which expands the addresses and adds in. It's a little different structure, makes them bigger, so you don't have to worry about it. Is that a fair statement, David? Yeah. You'll go along with it? I will agree to that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so that being said, in and out that's the name of the movie, in and out You haven't seen this really fun. (laughs) <laughs> that mainframe just a kicking. <laughs> yeah, you heard it. You heard it, didn't you? Okay, so I would I would argue that if we ever got to the point where we were truly using IP version six, it wouldn't be as I, I don't know. It could it wouldn't be as simple. I don't think. But then again, it could be. So from a perspective of from a technical standpoint, 
who's using that data? Could they misuse it? Well, any data could be misused. But the tracking data, I don't know. But bottom line is, it's not my job to interpret the law as far as whether we should follow it or not. I say, look, I understand what they're saying. It's kind of like saying that people that have an encrypted backup file and they don't have the key are subject to being a BA, even though they don't have the key, because they would be in a persistent state of breach Mm -hmm. from the get-go. And I totally get that, persistent state of breach. I totally get the fact that I need that available. I need them to be responsible for availability, not just in confidentiality, also integrity and availability. And if they're not responsible for that, now I can't count on them. Great. On this one, the only thing to hang the hat on is that it's listed in one of the elements of the PHI. You take that off, and it's not as easy to go, well, you got to follow the law. Isn't there argument about, you know, the last part of the quote, which was, this is a problem that ultimately is not of their own making. I mean, isn't that the argument of every single piece of device that has a vulnerability, though? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I yeah, could argue that with everything. Of, yeah. Ultimately, not of your own making. Technically, before you implemented that and shared data with somebody else, you're supposed to do a risk analysis mm-hmm. and determine if this would fall under that and have an opinion written about it, which would then protect you from, and, and there are plenty of these class action lawsuits. They're everywhere now. I don't know about enforcement actions. But there is a huge investment that they put out there to track people and sell to them. That's what it's about. It's about selling to them. Mm -hmm. That's it. It's not really about providing better care. It's about selling to them. Not, it's what we do in business. We sell. I get that. The question is, what does the law say? And so this one's going to be tricky to watch. I understand both sides of this discussion. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad it's not my job to figure it out. (laughs) So it's a tough one. But, you know, a, a lot of times it would, you know, it would require an act of Congress to change that law. <laughs> yep. I mean, and we know where we get with that. I mean, but although in healthcare we've been able to get some, you know, so who knows? But the bottom line is that was the big thing. That was the big discussion. That was the thing they put out saying, we really got a problem with this. We want you to change it. We want you to remove that guidance or make it easier, or at least open the topic to public comment. So I can assure you we will be watching this thing because, you know, again, did I really think that much about it before? Nah, not too much. Not until all this came out. But is it in, in the law, not in the guidance, in the law, it has the 18 identifiers. So there you have it. All right. So, aha. Yep. Aha. (laughs) Take on me, aha. Take on. Uh huh. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Uh, 
All right. So the other thing is just a quick note of uh, a discussion I saw on LinkedIn about an article where that was uh, in SC Media that said, why are 1.8 million APRIA patients just now being notified of a 2021 data breach? Great question. I think that's a fair question. <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> <laughs> we know that HIPAA says, but the point is, in the article, you and I have had this discussion before. We've had to bring it up before, where people argue and say, no, you only have to notify HHS if it's 500 or more. And in that article, it said you have to notify within 60 days if 500 or more, and in some cases, the media, which is not the way it's stated. And that creates confusion. You have to always notify patients within 60 days, period. Full stop. Mm -hmm. We're out. When it comes to patient notification, you've got 60 days to do it. Done. The other notifications are the ones that vary based on the number of people. So if it's 500 more, that 60 days applies to both the media and HHS. If it's less than 500, the media doesn't need to be notified and HHS can just be notified within the year, within 60 days of the end of the year. So I couldn't find a place to comment on the article. I couldn't find a place to email the article's <laughs> author. But I want to make sure if our people see it, they at least know, no, this doesn't change anything. But well, yeah, 18 months is jacked up. The, the lady that wrote it, Jessica Davis, I'm pretty sure listens. So Jessica, <laughs> give us a shout out. She's one of the two million. One of the two million <laughs> listeners. Or 20 million, 20 million listeners. Sorry. Oh, okay. Got, okay. Got the comma in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, definitely, you know, I totally get everything in the article. All good. You shouldn't be learning about stuff 18 months out. Mm. Shouldn't be happening. And it's because, well, we're not going to dig into that particular case because I'm pretty sure other people are digging into that already. <laughs> I bet you they are. <laughs> yeah. So uh, there's probably going to, we're going to learn some more about that because it's a lot of people. 1.8 million, you know, and I loved uh, the, I mean, article's great. That one problem in the article is my only issue. But the final statement, even with nearly 2 million impacted individuals, it is still only the fifth, fifth largest data breach reported by a single entity so far this year. We're not even halfway through. 1.8 million is not that big of a deal. Four more. Which brings us to, <laughs> I think it's a perfect segue to the one that involved a whole lot more people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the interesting part about this is it's not just OCR that it come after you. Well, well, at first, let me correct. It's not more people, but it's about the same people. Isn't it? Yeah, it's 1.2 million total. I mean, who's counting? I know, right? <laughs> 600,000 here, there, who knows? 
So the big one on this one, and we've done an entire episode multiple times. We've talked about it, but we did one episode that reminds people it's not just OCR that enforces HIPAA. Mm -hmm. The state's attorney general office has the option under high tech to be able to enforce HIPAA on behalf of their constituents. Is you is or is you ain't <laughs> our constituents. <laughs> so what made this interesting is this was an enforcement action by the uh, Attorney General's Office of New York. Of the 1.2 million individuals involved in the data breach, only 428,000 were New York residents. Mm. Okay, so all you other folks, I don't know when you're going to get your bite of the apple. <laughs> <laughs> but New York got $550 million plus assurances that they were going to do stuff. So I think you read through the timeline a little bit better than I did, David. you want to go through the timeline? Because there's some pretty hinky shit. Oops. <laughs> Sugar honey iced tea. <laughs> I'm going to get bleeped on that one. Yeah, so uh, let's see. So it all started in January 31st, 2019. The business associated name is Practice First, right? Or it's a business associate. It's a business associate of Practice First. This is where I got to figure out where we're, where we're at with that. So well, Practice First is, is the business associate who had the data breach and then had to notify their covered oh, entities. Right. So, yeah. so they had a firewall provider that released a new version of the software, which patched, guess what? <laughs> a vulnerability. <laughs> a critical one. <laughs> the vulnerability, which was unbeknownst to practice first, was present in their systems. Now, that's January. Between May and August of said year, 2019, the firewall provider published an advisory for the vulnerability. And then NIST got involved and they put it in their national vulnerability database and published mm -hmm. it. And then security researchers presented about it at Black Hat. Mm -hmm. And then Metasploit module demonstrated how the exploitation and the vulnerability uh, could happen and they published that online. So guess what happens once they publish all this information online? <laughs> <laughs> the bad guys are like, oh, cool, thanks, man. We'll, we'll go try that out, see if that's something we can do. So then it says that between May of 2019 and December of 2020, do the math, quite a while, mm -hmm. practice first and its managed service provider, da, da, da. Oh. that's right, IT folks, they did not conduct any penetration tests vulnerability scans, or other security testing that would have identified the vulnerability. Hmm. Hmm. So, hello, vulnerability management should be doing it. Part 4 of ID and other frameworks, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. It's hiccup right up in there. Vulnerability management. It's a big discussion, and no, it's not easy. And it goes back to... Well, I can just go get this firewall and it'll work just as it is and I don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. Who's patching that firewall? Mm -mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, how many times have you gone into a site and you find the firewall and it's never been patched? Every time. Yeah, I mean, you just can't count them. Yeah, so I mean, seriously, every single time we've been called in, if they don't have an IT company, absolutely 100%. When they do have an IT company, it's probably greater than 50%. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hadn't been patched. Hadn't been patched, yep. So it's... It's and sometimes a, the IT companies tries to get them to buy that kind of service, and they're like, nope, just need the device. Oh, yeah. It's not always the IT company's fault because it'll be, mm-hmm. oh, I've been trying for years to get them to update. I mean, I've had clients to do the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to spend $1,000 on a firewall. I get it, but it's uh, it's end of life. Like, you've, you've got to do this. I don't want to do it. All right. Then here, sign this document that says you don't want to do it because when they ask me about it, I'm going to throw you under the bus. <laughs> twice yeah and i'll I'll even drive the bus over you (laughs) so as to make sure you're not under it that's right all right so now the timeline goes to november 25th of 2020 there was guess what an unauthorized actor who was not acting when they made several remote connections (laughs) Uh, and then this unauthorized person or persons did some nasty stuff they created administrator accounts and domain administrator accounts so that they could do what? So they could play solitaire. <laughs> <laughs> so they could do some malicious activity. Um, <laughs> now, after several attempts, and this is where it gets juicy, on Christmas Eve of 2020, this is what I thought. What have we told you about holidays? I know. What have we told you about holidays, people? So... After several attempts on Christmas Eve of 2020, the unauthorized actor successfully ran an open source utility that enabled the unauthorized actor to view and harvest account credentials. Well, congratulations. And then on Christmas Day, the MSP identified the suspicious activity. Now, my first thing was, wow, shoot, really? Christmas Day? You, you caught this? That's pretty impressive. And then I read, because file extensions had been changing and there was a ransomware note. <laughs> so, okay. So it was kind of obvious at that point. Yeah. That something's going yeah. on. Yeah. Still, How do you know you hit with ransomware? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious. Um, still, somebody was there to even see that happen. So somebody had to be working on Christmas mm-hmm. Day. Uh, so practice first. They shut the systems down. They called in a cybersecurity firm. Congratulations for... The MSP not going, we can handle this. We're good. Yeah. So good job, MSP, on that. They called the cybersecurity firm. They did a forensic investigation. So now things are getting better. <laughs> a few days later, December 30th, they confirmed that, guess what? Somebody did actually deploy ransomware. <laughs> they took some files that contained PII. A cybersecurity firm then identified that there were four screenshots containing PHI on the dark web. Of 13 specific individuals. Yep. The lucky 13 folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next day, Practice First began communicating with the unauthorized actor, who then removed the four screenshots from the dark web. So, pretty please, take them down. <laughs> We're honest criminals. Uh, sometime between that day and a few days later, January 4th, you, you know their holidays are like screwed up. 
You can't right. enjoy a holiday knowing that you're dealing with a ransomware attack and a data breach. Well, that's why our friends over at Black Talon, they're all like, we can't take a holiday vacation. Our vacations have to be, and our time off has to be off holiday. Yeah, it's like, it's it's the holidays and you're holding your breath the whole time. Uh-huh. But, uh, so anyway, on uh, somewhere around January 4th, they notified 114 clients, not patients now, clients, with which it had business associate agreements, you know, pursuant to HIPAA. And then on January the 9th, I'm sad to say they paid the ransom. And they got some written attestations from the bad guys that they destroyed the data. <laughs> so it looks like they paid the ransom for the exfiltrated data. Yeah. Uh, and then the unauthorized person... Uh, said they had 80 gigabytes of data containing 79,000 files that were taken. Jeez. So, a few days later, January 28, 2021, the cybersecurity firm began reviewing the files that were taken. And then about a month later, February 26, at the direction of its clients, Practice First then notified the 13 individuals that were on the dark web and said, hey, guess what? You're internet famous. <laughs> and then, of course, the very next day, they also notified the OAG about the breach that affected the 13 individuals. And then guess what ended up happening? They later That's found when the that OAG <laughs> said, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, we fast forward a little bit and guess what? 13 individuals in the data breach grew to, drum roll please, 1.2 million individuals, which included 428,000 from New York. So the 13 were the only ones on the dark web, at least as far as they know. Yeah. So it was a proof of life. Uh-huh. Basically. <laughs> yeah. So they just settled with at least the New York Attorney General for the little over half a mil. Mm-hmm. You know, $550,000, and we know, we, you know how much of a money pit this thing has become for them. Yeah. With this big of a situation and paying the ransom and, and, and. But the other piece is that the resolution agreement includes the same kinds of things. It's just written differently, but the same kinds of things as a corrective action plan. Mm -hmm. where they shall maintain, I always love it that I say this when people send me policies and procedures, they should do this. Should, but <laughs> are they required? You know, we should worry about cybersecurity. In healthcare, you're required to worry about cybersecurity. Those are two different things. Mm -hmm. We should drive the speed limit. We should stop at the red light. <laughs> <laughs> we should actually stop at a stop sign instead of pause. <laughs> Yeah. You know, all stop signs are not yield signs. But anyway, uh, they have a long list of things that uh, they have to maintain a comprehensive information security program that is reasonably designed to protect the security, integrity, and confidentiality of PHI and private information that they collect, use, store, transmit, or maintain, and they shall... Here's the most important piece that everybody skips. 
document and writing the content, implementation, and maintenance of the information security program. Hmm. I would love to know what they had in place. If I mean, they had an MSP, and it, it, they had some things in place. I mean, they had a firewall that was probably decent. It just had a vulnerability. It wasn't patched. So I wonder what they had in place versus what they quote unquote reasonably designed should have had in place. Well, should, they're in New York. Send an email to Gary and see if that's one of his. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'll do that. Hey, Gary, I know you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> Just let us know. Yeah. It's one of yours. Uh, okay. So this is your reminder that everybody's watching. Everybody. Not just one or two. Everybody. So, that takes us to the listener question. Craig sent us a message. What's Craig say? Well, I like that Craig said, first off, thank you, in all caps, for your podcast. It helps me approach HIPAA in a non-fear-based manner. Yes, that's what we're talking about. No, thank you, Craig, for being one of the 20 million listeners. <laughs> it's like Robin Williams used to say, don't thank me, thank you. Oh, don't thank me, thank you. <laughs> Everybody's got to thank each other, but yes. <laughs> but yes, thank you for listening and reaching out. We prefer people ask questions if they have them. Because we know about a soon. So the question that uh, Craig asked is, uh, is there a checklist product that I can purchase to guide my compliance efforts? Bless his pee-picking heart. I'm sure there is. <laughs> yes. However, didn't we do a whole episode on checklists? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. <laughs> we like checklist for some things, but not to guide HIPAA. Mm -hmm. Like part of your policies and procedures should include a checklist. Say, I don't know, have you confirmed that your firewall is up to date? How do you do that? Where do you document that? Who did it and when? Yeah. You know, how often have you done that? That's a perfect checklist. Arrivals and departures of teams, onboarding and uh, termination. I like arrivals and departures. Mm -hmm. I heard that on a thing. Anyway, perfect time for a checklist. The problem with checklists is that people treat them very similar to the way they do templates, is they treat the checklist as the actual security risk assessment mm -hmm. instead of a very small part of it. It's just a confirmation that you're covering your bases. It is not the actual assessment. Uh -huh. That is true. Yeah. So if we had a checklist, though, I would make a checklist of things you should have. Right? Not mm -hmm. how to go do them, but things you should have. And maybe that's more of what Craig's looking for. And have we ever made one? Yeah. No. <laughs> there probably is one, and I'm going to go look for one. I just hadn't had time. I've been busy being COVID tooth things. And uh, party COVID tooth. Anyway, 
and I got my priorities. But it would include things like if you just started here, just make sure your SRA meets requirements outlined in some of the OCR resolution agreements. Pull the last one that we just covered, mm-hmm. you know, and look at what it says. Pull the, you know, th- those are the things where you compare it to, this is somebody that did it wrong, and this is what they're telling them they have to do. So compare yours to theirs and see if it would meet it. Now, once you know it does, and you've got it documented properly, and you went about it the right way, then make sure that your risk management plan addresses everything in your SRA. Right? You either say, well, we're just going to accept that and move on. So anything that it says we're going to accept on the list, management is approved of it, and we're not going to make any effort to do anything about it. The likelihood or impact is so low, we're just going to let it ride. And then have a plan for everything else. And don't have the same stuff on it every year. (laughs) But you also have to realize your checklist will be highly dependent on how you answer the question of, Am I a covered entity or am I a business associate or am I a hybrid entity? (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's that because you also have to have your privacy concerns. But those fall under the third thing I would say is to do a gap analysis to make sure you're meeting all of your HIPAA requirements and documenting them properly. And that's privacy, security, breach notification, all three. All business associates and covered entities should worry about all three. They're not supposed to worry about all parts of all three, (laughs) but there are parts that apply to each of them depending on the services they provide, their business model, and a lot of other variables. So if you make sure you do those three things, it's a start. Now, Craig, you're starting to understand why there's not an easy checklist. <laughs> yeah, and there, there are checklist products. Now, oh, yeah. is there one that we would recommend? No. Can't think of one. No, but there are some out there that make a kill in getting MSPs to sell their checklist product. Um, mm-hmm. I said that out loud. Okay, we'll move along. Yes, move along. <laughs> yes. So, sorry, Craig, that's the best we can offer for you at this point, but... If you do those three properly and address your findings in those three properly with proper documentation that it's done, you know, that that's the 360, what is it, 36,000 feet. I don't know. You know what I'm talking about, David. You figured that one out. <laughs> That's your 30,000 foot view answer. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I mixed a lot of things together and I saw that happening. So I just backed away, moved away from the keyboard. <laughs> All right. So let's get to our cyber resources because I know you are completely thrilled. <laughs> how this turned out for you. <laughs> well, I, I, here's what I can say is, well, first there's this... Uh, Bank Info Security article, or Healthcare Info Security, that whole Info Security, there's a bunch of different ones, Data Breach Today, they're all hooked together, or I think it's ISMG Group. Anyway, they had a whole article that was about state-aligned actors are targeting SMBs globally. 
It said another key trend observed between 2022 and 2023, so so far in this year, is the increased level of APT, Advanced Persistent Threats, targeting of vulnerable regional managed service providers to initiate supply chain attacks. Mm-hmm. So we're not just talking healthcare, we're talking all. And they go through some pretty interesting information in that how how that's being done and why the small and medium businesses are the ones they're attacking. They're doing it to get to the bigger ones. Because you are now the number one weakness. And that's what we've been telling people. I'm too small to matter. No. <laughs> yeah. You're not. You know, when you're fishing for the, the for the big catfish, you know what you do. You, you catch the brim. And then mm-hmm. you cut the brim up and use it as bait to get to the big catfish. <laughs> mm-hmm. And what do you use to catch the brim? The minner. <laughs> the smaller fish. Yeah. Right? And yeah. you just keep working your way up. And what do you use to catch a shark? Right? It just keeps going. Uh, my ex-wife. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it was there. You had to use it. I know. All right. So uh, for the most part, though, anybody that assumes they have nothing valuable is loaded with valuable stuff. Mm-hmm. Just you're loaded with value. We all are as individuals and then as a business. So unless you don't deal with any people, you have a business that deals with zero people and zero other businesses, no government connections, no banking, no nothing, which then I question, are you a business? (laughs) You're a tax deduction. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the nonprofits, you know, they're still doing those things. So it doesn't matter if you have any connection to others, that's what they're after. Mm-hmm. It can be used. Yeah, it's and, a lot easier uh, that way. Like, why would I want to break into this big company over here when I can just find a smaller company that has access to the big company and break into that? Yeah, and just follow them in the door. Yeah. No questions asked. Exactly. And many, many of these large breaches track back to smaller companies, mm-hmm. regional companies, small local companies, medium-sized national companies. It's just like you see in the movies. You got a guy who's trying to get into somewhere, and what does he do? He dresses up like the janitor or the AC man or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's, he's using the cover of a smaller entity that already has act- privileged access <laughs> to mm-hmm. get in. Yeah, they steal some ID and go in the door. How many times you see them do that? Yeah, all the time. You know, and so for for those who still want to believe that there's nothing to worry about, please stop, stop it, mm-hmm. stop. So that article is very good at explaining it. And by the way, yes, it tells you what's happening in other countries, not because it won't happen here. <laughs> it's probably happening here. No one's found it that way yet. So they give you some great things, great stories of things that have happened where small businesses and medium businesses have been the target that got them into the bigger fish. And they also 
give you money. So there's financial gain in it because they don't have the things in place to protect them. So one of the things that NIST, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, has launched a cybersecurity initiative for small businesses. Great. In the article that we were referencing about that big NIST thing that's come out, they used a coveware chart that I thought was really interesting on ransomware companies by size, by employee count. And all those people who say, they want the big companies, not me. (laughs) (laughs) What's the total there? Let's see. uh, 29 plus 4. So we got 45. And so what do you say? 70%? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Is between 1 and 1,000 employees. Mm -hmm. 70% of the ransomware impacted companies had less than a thousand. Yeah. I mean, from 11 employees to a hundred employees was 29% of that. Right. So from one to a hundred, you're looking at over 30%. And then the rest of it's 101 to a thousand. So we put the kibosh (laughs) on this, right? So, you're the most likely to be in the target zone because you're the next step. And so in pointing that out, they, you know, open this really cool thing, which I love it, uh, that they're doing it. However, this, what are they calling it? The uh, Small Business Cybersecurity Community of Interest. Great stuff. It's a great resource And it connects you to all these other resources, which we're a big fan of. However, (laughs) when I'm looking at it, I'm a small business owner. I know what I'm looking at because I'm looking at it from a cybersecurity perspective. And that's all I do every day. Great. Most small and medium business owners, the people in charge of these things, they go look at that. They bring up the first page. And suddenly they glaze over because nothing makes sense. You know, it is a ton of information being tossed my way. Appreciate that. Really do. However, I need something that I know what to do. And they're building things and there's a ton of information and you can get part, you can become part of conversations and there's webinars and all of that. But if I need something today, I couldn't find something that gave me something to do today other than to tell somebody to go figure out what it is that I could use this for to do. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. <laughs> you know, there's a section on cybersecurity basics and, and these aren't necessarily new things. You know, there's the stop ransomware which CISA has recently updated with uh, a new guide, which is great. They've got vulnerability warning pilot programs. They're doing a ton of stuff. How do I use that? And that's the, the thing is I have to even know 
that that's what I want to do. Like me, I go look at it and oh, oh yeah, they got the new stuff. We should tell everybody about it. There is some new stuff. It's great. However, as the average small business, medium business leader, would I know what to do with this list? You know, I'm going to go to the section on managers. And here it is. Communicating with the board, making the business case. Totally agree. I think that's a great article. I've used it before. Okay, so I click on it, and it gives me a 404 error. (laughs) (laughs) Then I go to questions every CEO should ask about cyber risk. Also a great idea. I click on it. Page not found. You know, and this is from the cybersecurity, small business cybersecurity corner. So I get it. You know, we go out and look at the 405D stuff and we're like, hey, we found something we couldn't find. Mm -hmm. But I mean, there are things and like one of the things is something we covered years ago, which is cybersecurity is everyone's job. Mm -hmm. That came out in 2018. That one I can get to. So I get it. There are some really good things in here. I'm not saying that we don't need them. We need more of these things. However, uh, we need to speak to the people. Know your audience. I mean, there's great stuff. I've had people come to me with the small business NIST cybersecurity framework getting started guide. They're like, This is what I want to do. I don't know what any of that means. Well, that's a place to start. Yeah. (laughs) So I love that we're doing it. Absolutely. Big fan that we're doing it. The thing is, is that we've got to find a better way to streamline it because small business owners today are under the gun. They've always been under the gun. Everybody acts like it's something new. It's not something new. What's different is information and attacks are moving at a faster pace. We've always been under the gun. Ain't nothing changed. Mm -hmm. There's just more information coming at us faster. And all those great technology things that we're all using create openings that people don't necessarily understand. That's all I'm going to say. What do you think, David? I concur. <laughs> uh, no, it's one of those things where it's it's too. I don't. I don't know. I almost hate to say that. No matter what resources you put out, it's going to. It's still going to be difficult for people to do it simply because of the the breadth and the depth of everything that's involved in it. Yeah. And, and, you know, you and I were talking a little bit before we started recording about, you know, it's great that you see some of these free things being offered or talked about to help small businesses. But at the same time, part of what we always tell people, and we even do it within the 405D framework stuff, is to say, don't use free stuff. (laughs) And so you've got, on the one hand, people going, Here's something that's free and valuable. And on the other hand, here's something that's free and crap. Mm-hmm. And and the average person doesn't know how to determine which is free and good. So the best thing to do is stay away from free altogether. Yeah. Well, there's that. And, you know, like I said, it's not easy. 
No, it's not no, easy. I'm just trying to get to the new Stop Ransomware guide, and I still haven't gotten to just to put the link in the show notes. Right. You know, it's it's not easy. When we look at stuff like the breaches, even in today's episode, the firewall that wasn't patched and all that, th- there's a lot that goes into keeping a business protected. It's hard enough when you're the outsourced IT trying to do it for them. It's mm-hmm. almost it's impossible if it's not your primary job. If you're the mm-hmm. person that I'm in charge of doing the IT and I'm also the fill in the blank, that you could you don't have a chance. Right. You don't have a chance because we spend all day, every day, either doing the work of protecting or reading the articles and doing the research of what we need to do the work of protecting. <laughs> and even <laughs> yeah. that, even doing it all day, every day, we still miss stuff because it's so much. So it's just, it's impossible. And, and until small businesses realize there is no way that we're going to do this on our own, we've got to find a way to get help. Of course, this is part of the help, but at the same time, you're asking them to implement it themselves. They already don't know and can't can't find the time to do it. So Yeah, and I mean, there's some great tools, but if you don't understand them, you don't even know where to start. Right. It's like, oh, I see a bunch of red lights. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) There's a bunch of X's. It's kind of like, here, read this book. And now I want you to maintain a vehicle, mm-hmm. everything about it. And here's a book to do it. Yeah, here's know, the book and, you need. And by the way, the the entire vehicle will change every six months. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it, that's exactly it. You know, I'm going to let you read something, and and it's not it's not for lack of trying. Yeah. I absolutely understand. I am not complaining about this. I'm saying we need more. Mm-hmm. We need improved speaking to the audience. Yeah. Not just providing information, but speak to the audience. Well, from a healthcare perspective, it's it's like when I talk when I'm talking to somebody who's in healthcare, especially doctors, one of the things they'll say is something like, I hate when people Google their symptoms. Because oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting there going, I hate it too when you Google your technology symptoms. Because you're doing the exact same thing. You're like, oh, I can fix this. Oh, I've got this problem. I can just go and Google it, and I can go and fix it. And sometimes you're right, and sometimes you're not. And sometimes you're causing more problems than you're fixing. The the problem is you don't know when you're doing it right and when you're doing it wrong, even when you're following a guide, because Mm -hmm. not every guide is accurate either. So That's like one time I was talking to a doctor, and and they they said – uh, you know, I, I hate to bother you, but I spent three hours on the phone with Microsoft about this yesterday. <laughs> I'm already like, no, you didn't. <laughs> they did. Oh, they got Microsoft on the phone? Wow. They call Microsoft and keep talking until somebody talks to them. But they don't, I mean, no. You and I both know, even if you get somebody, yeah. how often would that solve your problem? Yeah. Well, there's a reason why we've never called them. <laughs> I know. You know, I don't, I, you don't, it's not going to get there. And, you know, but my response to them was, you realize that in those three hours, you could have been worried about your actual business or your patients and let us handle it. 
And we would have solved the problem in 30 minutes. Because mm-hmm. here, tick, 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 done. Yep. But I didn't want to call you. I didn't want to pay you to do 30 minutes. I'll spend three hours of my time and still have to call you rather than pay you for whatever. You know, it's this thought that we are overcharging. And I actually had somebody one time say, I don't want to have to pay you to look things up in a manual. (laughs) Do you have any manuals I'd have to memorize? Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you go do it. (laughs) But you're paying me to know which manual to look up. (laughs) That's right. It's like the story of the, you know, the one where the guy gets fired. He's the IT director, and they say, yeah, we've got this. We don't need you anymore. We're all good. We got this, and we're going to let you go. Probably, you know, a month later, gets a call. We're having major problems. We can't get things up and running. Will you come in and look? Sure. I'll be happy to. Comes in, goes into the data center, comes back out. Hands them an invoice, and it's for $10,000. You pay me the invoice, I'm good. And on the invoice, it says, (laughs) piece of chalk, $1. (laughs) (laughs) $9,999, knowing where to use the piece of chalk to make a mark. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing where to put that is the key. Anybody can have the dollar's worth of chalk, but to note the piece that's malfunctioning and needs to be replaced, well, Mm -hmm. that'll be $9,999. I tell you what, I'll throw in the chalk for free. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing. All righty. That is our show for today, folks. Hope you learned something. If nothing else, you learned about some 80s music. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, join us again next week. And remember that HIPAA is not about compliance. It's about patient care. You've been listening to the Help Me With HIPAA podcast, hosted by Donna Grendel and David Sims. The show created to help you with HIPAA. For more information or to ask us a question, visit our website at helpmewithhipaa.com. Neither Donna Grendel or David Sims are attorneys, and they do not offer binding legal advice concerning regulatory compliance. The information in this podcast should not be relied upon or construed as legal advice in any way. Consult your attorney for legal advice concerning compliance with HIPAA regulations.